Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Well, it's great to be able to share with you today and uh, especially so as we're launching into a brand new series today. We're looking at uh, 1 Peter over the coming few weeks and we're going to do a deep dive into this fascinating book. It's actually a a letter, but still I I find it uh, fascinating because of its author. Peter was, uh, was one of the apostles. You know, many of the New Testament letters are written by the apostle Paul, but Peter was an apostle too, and he was the one to whom Jesus said, you are the rock on which I will build my church. This Peter is the same one who denied Christ three times. It's the same Peter who started out as a humble fisherman, but was empowered by the Holy Spirit to boldly proclaim the gospel. It's the same Peter who, as legend tells it, was martyred for his faith, but he requested to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same way as his saviour, Jesus. Peter was a fascinating leader. So let's, uh, let's turn to 1 Peter this morning. If you've got your Bibles uh, with you, open them up. If you've got a digital device, open it up. I encourage you, if you've got a pen or a highlighter on your device, we're going to uh, highlight or underline a couple of verses today. Maybe there's something that was going to jump out to you. So I want to start with just the first two verses of this letter. 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have, chosen, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is a classic greeting. You know, if you read a Greek or Roman letters from the first century, this is a word perfect introduction. Peter introduces himself, he addresses his readers, he blesses them. But even in this greeting, we get to see the, the intent and the purpose of Peter's letter. We see in his audience that he's writing to Christ's followers, Christians scattered around northern Asia. They're God's chosen people likely Jews and Gentiles who've put their trust in Jesus, but they're exiled. Bible scholar and New Testament guru Walter Wearsby writes that Peter's audience were ostracized for their faith. Peter refers to them elsewhere as strangers or sojourners, and and it meant that their, their faith meant that their walk with Jesus had them living differently to others. And that pushed them to the margins of their community. Although they weren't yet facing state-sanctioned persecution, Peter's original audience were likely subjected to all sorts of tensions, suspicions, and alienation simply because they lived differently to those around them. Instead of worshipping multiple false gods or or seeing the emperor as the god, they only worshipped Jesus. They believed in a god who'd become a man, a man who'd been killed only to be raised, so they said, from the dead. They had odd customs and practices because they lived their lives according to God's rules rather than some moral standard of whatever, whatever goes. If they were married, they were committed to one spouse rather than living a, a licentious life full of drunkenness, orgy, and lawless idolatry. 
Within their culture, they were mocked, they were mistreated, and they were marginalized. They were persecuted and ridiculed all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet the Trinitarian God was at work in their lives. God the Father had chosen them. God the Son had saved them. And God the Holy Spirit was growing them. And Peter was wise enough to encourage them in their faith, to implore them to persevere in spite of the persecution that they faced. This culture that Peter is writing to, it's got some similarities to the culture we live in today. In case you haven't noticed, Christianity as a faith is being mocked in our culture. Many Christians, many of you are mistreated and marginalized by those in your community. I remember very vividly uh, in the cafeteria at UQ when I was studying there, one of my fellow classmates uh, made a comment about another student walking past. And he said, uh, he said, oh, I heard she's a Christian. Who'd be a Christian? And you could hear the disdain and the mistrust kind of being spat out of his mouth. And that was 25 years ago. Now, with the recent Royal Commission highlighting the sins of institutions, with the traditional view of, of, uh, of identity and sexuality seen as old-fashioned, with the moral failing of many church leaders, Christianity and Christians are under more and more Attack, we're being marginalized, being sent to the edges of society, which is why a letter originally written to God's elect, Christians living as exiles spread around North Asia, is still relevant for us today. I want to introduce you this morning to this concept of the red dot. Here it is. This is you. I've boiled down all of your personality, all of your individual unique uh, qualities into a simple red dot. And this red dot resembles a follower of Jesus. And you're red because you're passionate for Jesus. You're surrendered to Him. You're living life for Him. There might be times in your life where that red becomes a bit of a lighter shade. Maybe you're not living as passionately for Jesus. You're cutting some corners or maybe you're burning with passion right now and, and you and God are so close, you can't get any redder. But that's you, a red dot. And right now, this is us, a whole bunch of red dots gathered together. There you are, one of those red dots gathered together. We're huddled in this room and it's important that those red dots come together from time to time. Because when they get together, they get redder together. They encourage one another to be a red dot. They tell stories and build faith about being a red dot. Red dots that are starting to fade out. The fires get stoked again. This is the gathered church, encouraging and equipping one another. But also in this picture are a bunch of black dots. That's everyone who's not in the church. They're not following Jesus. For the most part, they don't know and they don't even care. What's happening when those red dots get together? Some of them do. Some of them are intrigued by the red dots. They've got questions. They want to understand. Others actively hate the collection of red dots. But the black dots and the red dots are pretty reflective of our society. Recent research conducted by the National Church Life Survey indicates that 7% of Aussies attend church very regularly. That's seven red dots gathering here in the corner for church, amidst 93 other black dots. And have a look at the guy right up in the top left-hand corner. 
I don't know why he's a guy, but just, uh, this, this guy, this black dot right at the top left, he's as far away from the red dots as you can be. He's a long way from Jesus. That's what happens today. But look what happens tomorrow. Suddenly, those red dots are scattered out amongst our community. We're back into our workplaces. We're back into your community. You're mingling with the black dots. You're right next to them. And see the guy who was up in the top left-hand corner, as far away from the church that he could be? Look how close he is to a red dot now. He's in the next cubicle. He's in the same sporting team. He lives just next door. Well, these red dots are called to be unique and distinct. They noticeably live their lives differently to the black dots. And maybe, just maybe, over time, the way that these red dots interact with these black dots and through the power of the Holy Spirit, some of those black dots begin to get a little less black and a little more red. And as the red dots continue to live differently, as they keep shining Christ's light, they're having a positive impact on the black dots around them. Through this series, we're going to discover Peter's encouragement to us to live different. In the face of an anti-God culture, where people of, uh, of where people of faith, where people who are not of faith, love to mock us, mistreat us, and marginalize. Well, we can be tempted to compromise, to become like a black dot, or to avoid the persecution and the suffering by sticking our heads in the sand. Sometimes we can bemoan all that is wrong with the world and just nostalgically yearn for the past. But Peter challenges us to live different. Peter equips us to stand firm in our faith and to look forward to a better future and to be filled with hope. And that hope is found in the person of Jesus. Let's keep reading in verse 3. Peter says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If you've got your Bible this morning and uh, you're comfortable with marking it up or even highlighting it, I want you just to uh, circle or underline or highlight these, th- these three words. New birth, living hope, and inheritance. Actually, that's five words, but three parts. New birth, living hope, and inheritance. Through this new birth, we have a living hope and an eternal inheritance. Peter is echoing, echoing the words of Jesus uh, when he told the Pharisee Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Paul talks about how we are a new creation in Christ. A new birth is what happens when God gives us a new identity. My daughter Quinn is a picture of her parents, or was a product of her parents. She uh, inherited a mix of the genetic makeup of Lauren, my wife, and myself. Quinn's inherited my long legs, and she has also inherited Lauren's cute, bumpy nose. Somehow she's got curly hair. Don't know how that came, came about. But she was born into our family with all of its quirks and benefits. She's inherently a Lucas. But as you can see in that photo, she's also an American. 
She was born in the state of New York when we were living there almost six years ago. And so she was born into certain unalienable rights, such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the right to bear arms. Watch out. But on her return to Australia, she had to undergo a type of new birth. She became a new citizen, a citizen of Australia. She received a new identity, one which included other rights and responsibilities, like access to free healthcare, access to university that doesn't cost the earth, the right to call everyone mate, and the right to enjoy good old Vegemite. Quinn had a new birth into a new citizenship, into a new inheritance. And similarly, we have a new birth in Jesus. For those who trust in him, for those who confess him as Lord and believe he rose again from the dead, we undergo a new birth. We are welcomed as citizens of heaven. And with that comes rights and opportunities. One of those opportunities is living hope. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In our culture, we use the word hope in a vague, wishful kind of way. Gee, I hope the Broncos get the next try, or I hope the Lions kick the next goal. I hope it doesn't rain today. Or I hope my car fits under the roof of that car park. Gee, I'm a bit nervous when you go into that car park. But in the Bible, the word hope is used differently. N.T. Wright says hope isn't a vague and fuzzy optimism that somehow things may work out in the end. It is, as the old liturgies say, the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. Hope is a certain expectation of a future event. And that hope isn't dead. That hope isn't in the grave. We have a living hope because Jesus was resurrected and lives today. Along with that living hope, we are given an eternal inheritance when we accept Jesus. Another right of being in God's family, being welcomed as his sons and daughters, is an eternal inheritance. The promise of an inheritance in heaven that can never be taken away. This inheritance will not only cause our worst experiences of this life to become distant memories, it will make even the most exotic places on earth and the finest moments of our lives pale in comparison. Because every experience, every treasure on this earth fades over time. But our inheritance in Christ Jesus will never fail, will never be defiled, will never perish. It is eternal. It is everlasting. So no longer do we have to fear death and much less should we fear persecution because we have a living hope and an inheritance that goes beyond the grave, all because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We have this hope in the person of Jesus. Secondly, we have hope in the presence of Jesus. As mentioned before, Peter's audience suffered through trials of many kinds. They were mocked, they were maligned, they were mistreated. But listen to what Peter tells them. He says, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
Peter's readers suffered grief in all kinds of trials. You can circle that word trials. And elsewhere, Peter foresees more fiery trials for Jesus' followers. Now, Peter wrote this letter before AD 64. In AD 64, there was this great fire of Rome. It caused a huge amount of damage. And the emperor Nero uh, blamed the Christians. He wanted somebody to blame. He blamed the Christians. And from that point forward, there was state-sanctioned persecution of Christians. It's where we see them get rounded up, arrested, uh, tried, uh, executed, martyred. And maybe Peter was foreseeing a little bit of that. But even in this moment, his readers were facing all sorts of adversity for their faith. And the reality is that being a Christian goes hand in hand with trials. We are in the midst of a battle. As Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Christians will suffer. Because the evil one doesn't want us to be following Jesus. And today, Christians are facing trials as we're being pushed to the margins of society. Now, I'm not usually a conspiracy theorist, but I am a little concerned for my kids and their kids in the future. Christianity is on the decline. It's on the nose in our culture. And whilst there are some amazing green shoots, we had 400 kids join us for our kids' holiday program a couple of weeks ago. We've got young adults that are inviting their friends to church. We've got international students here at a 5 p.m. service being reached for Jesus. Sometimes it feels that the the trials that we face are discouraging. And it feels like sometimes we're on an uphill battle. Peter writes that these trials exist to prove the genuineness of our faith. And through it all, we can know the presence of Jesus. See, Peter uses this example, this analogy from the metallurgical world when he talks about gold that is being refined by fire. His readers would have known that to refine gold, a goldsmith takes metal and heats it up to a really high temperature to remove all of the impurities. These impurities either just burn away or they rise to the top and they can be skimmed off. But to to reach a certain level of purity... Eastern goldsmiths would continue continue to heat that metal hotter and hotter. And as it got hotter and hotter, they could look into it. And when it reached a certain temperature, they could actually see their reflection reflected back to them. See, when we look into our own suffering, when the pressure and the heat almost becomes too much to bear, we see Jesus' suffering reflected in us. And we can be assured that whatever challenge that we're facing, Jesus is right alongside of us. One of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled was that he was a suffering servant. Isaiah talks about this servant who would suffer for his people. He says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus knew suffering. He was ridiculed by those in authority. He was rejected and abandoned by his mates. He was charged over false claims. He was beaten and flogged, mocked and spat on. And ultimately he died a cruel and painful death as he was crucified on the cross. Jesus suffered more than we ever will. And yet he was victorious 
If you read to the end of the story, Jesus wins. All praise and glory and honor are his because he is established as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All things are under his name for there is no other name above the name of Jesus. So we can draw great comfort from him when we walk through trials of many kinds. Because the victorious Jesus promises to never leave us or forsake us. The Holy Spirit is a comforter and a counselor. When we suffer trials of many kinds, his presence is available. His strength can be drawn upon. His hope is our companion. Just like that gold melted up to a certain temperature, when we see our sufferings and look deeply into them, we see Jesus right along side of us. Our hope is in the presence of Jesus. Finally, we can also draw hope in the promises of Jesus. Peter continues, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I kind of think it's a little ironic that, that Peter affirms these Christ followers who have never seen Jesus. They've never met Jesus, yet they love Jesus anyway. Peter, on the other hand, knew Jesus so well. He knew him ever so closely. Peter was one of the three that were closest to Jesus throughout his ministry on earth. He's one of the three that saw Jesus lifted high and glorified on earth. And so Peter can speak to the joy of knowing Jesus. And I reckon being around Jesus as he wandered the earth, it would have been a joyful experience, right? Imagine being at the front row to all those miracles that Jesus performed, seeing people raised from the dead, seeing others who were blind from birth receive their sight, being in the crowd when the thousands were fed from just a few scraps of bread and a couple of fish, seeing the religious leaders squirm and shuffle as they're being outfoxed by Jesus' wisdom and insight. And think about the meals that would have been shared, the laughter around the table. Imagine walking so closely to God. Surely there would have been a lot of joy amongst those 12 disciples. I reckon that's why they've been hit so hard when Jesus was taken from them. But Peter experienced the joy of knowing and loving Jesus. And yet his audience are filled with that same joy because they love Jesus too, even never having seen him. This joy is not just a temporary experience. Peter knows that this joy is for now, it's for the future, and it's for eternity. This joy is poured out on Christ's followers because of the end result. You can underline that as well. The end result of their faith, which is the salvation of their souls. The recurring theme of this passage appears again. Have joy in suffering because one day, there will be a resurrection. One day, there will be a victory. One day, your salvation will come to fruition and you'll be raised with Jesus for eternity. This is the source of the believer's joy. See, our world finds joy in many things. There are those for whom their joy is rooted in financial security. Others whose source of joy is a particular relationship or a social standing. Others who base their joy on their present circumstances. Or if you're like my 10-year-old son, how your footy team is performing. 
But all these potential sources of joy are not reliable. They're not dependable. If we hope to find joy in these things, we're going to experience an emotional roller coaster because our joy will rise and fall on our experiences. Our joy will fluctuate based on our bank balance or the RBA's latest rate decision. Our joy will bounce up and down based on how that someone responds to us or whether we're accepted or rejected. Our joy will fluctuate based on whether we're having a good or a bad day. It will bounce around like the unpredictable bounce of a football. But true joy, this inexpressible and glorious joy that Peter is talking about, true joy is found in our salvation. True joy is found in Christ's promise of salvation. Not just salvation for the now, but the consummation of our salvation. Where on that final day of judgment, we are welcomed in to God's family and into eternal paradise with Christ. As the writer to the Hebrews says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Our promised salvation is an anchor. It grounds us. It holds us. And it's not an anchor that holds us back. It's an anchor that moves us forward. It means that whatever grief and suffering that we might walk through, there is a promise on the other side. And when we trust in Jesus' promises, we will be filled with joy. And we will come to realize that when Christ seems to be all we have and we cling to him, we come to see that Christ really is all we need. Peter encourages his audience. He encourages us today to remain hopeful, to see the trials and the suffering that we go through as only temporary, and instead to fix our eyes on the person, the presence, and the promises of Jesus. Because when we live with a certain hope, we will live different to those around us. Hope changes everything. Hope helps us to push through. Hope gives us a longer-term perspective. And hope keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hope means that when we're scattered in the community, we can still shine brightly for Jesus. The momentary troubles of our world won't weigh us down because our joy and our hope is anchored in the promise of salvation. And as we're sent and scattered from here, we will live different to the black dots around us. As I've been preparing this message, I recognise that this teaching, this walking through the book of Peter, it's a hard message for people walking through trials and grief right now. If you are walking through pain right now, probably the things I've shared today are possibly the last things that you want to hear. You actually probably don't want to hear anything. I've seen this scripture and others like it horribly misapplied and they're bringing more pain and trauma to those who are walking through grief. And I don't want to minimise the pain and the suffering, the trials that you are walking through today. So as a pastor, today I want to acknowledge the pain. I want to invite the community to gather around you, to support you, Just like that picture with all the red dots together, strengthening one another. The reason we do this is to encourage one another, support one another, to strengthen one another so that we can go out into this world and faithfully represent Jesus. Today, I recognise 
that there is heartache in the room. There are people walking through challenging medical diagnoses for themselves or their family. Others are experiencing financial hardship, just wrestling just how to make things, how to make ends meet. Still others are walking through the relational pain of strain or loss. Or maybe you're walking through persecution at the moment. You're being mocked and marginalised because of your faith. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to comfort His people. He wants to inject hope into your situation. So today, I want to invite you to respond to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward if that's you for prayer. Bring your pain, bring your suffering, bring it to the feet of Jesus. Their prayer team is going to be down here waiting for you. They would love nothing better than to wrap an arm around you, to comfort you, to lift you up in prayer, to help lift your faith and your eyes to look towards Jesus. So if you're able this morning, I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And as we do that, if you'd like to receive prayer this morning, I want to invite you down the front. There'll be a bunch of people in our prayer team who would love to pray. If you're in that prayer team, I want to come and encourage you to come down the front right now. Be ready to pray. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Jesus, thank you for the promises that you've given us. Thank you for your presence that is alongside of us. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us this morning. Lord God, we recognise the challenges that we're walking through at the moment. We recognise the grief, the suffering, the trial. Lord, I know it's hard to, to even think about rejoicing through those challenges. But today, Lord God, would you help us lift our eyes to you? Would you help us to fix our eyes on the person of Jesus, the one who gives us that hope, the one who was victorious over all things, the one who has prepared an eternal inheritance for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are our living hope. This morning, we can put our trust in you. We can put our trust in the person of Jesus. We can put our trust in the promises of Jesus. We can put our trust in the presence of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your great love for us. Holy Spirit, would you come and move amongst us? Lord, as we pray, as we encourage one another, would you strengthen us? Would you lift our eyes? Would you remind us of the joy that is ours, both now and in the future. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. Amen. As we sing this song that encapsulates this living hope we have in Jesus, I want to invite you down the front. Our prayer team would love to pray with you, would love to encourage you as we see the Holy Spirit minister to you this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. 
please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.